Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, it's Ryan Berger. We are back with another edition of Inside the Burger Shop, a podcast at the intersection of sports, media, entertainment, culture, and more. I'm excited to take you through the next hour. It's been a little while since we had our last show where we spoke with Andrew Deitchman about the reinvention of the convenience store, a really interesting concept that the old founder of Mother, the ad agency, is putting together. And uh, and then we've been really swamped with a number of different things. I haven't had a chance to do a show, but did want to do a show around uh, the U.S. Open this weekend. And uh, we'll speak just in a couple minutes with the great uh, Jason Birnbaum, the director of instruction at one of the great golf courses in the country and certainly in the East Coast, uh, Manhattan Woods. So we'll be excited to be joined by Jason in just a couple minutes. And Jason is live at Aaron Hills uh, with one of his golfers, and you could read about uh, his golfer, uh, the top-ranked Mexican player in the world, uh, in the New York Post today, and a really, really great story. But before we bring Jason on, just want to quickly thank our partners, of course, thanks to Hyper. Hyper is the leader in influencer and celebrity marketing with over 10 million influencers on hyperbrands.com. Head on over there today and check out all the data and information uh, on the incredible database that Hyper provides. Thanks to the Crowdsline. Head on over to the crowdsline.com. Make your prediction about what's going to happen in tonight's game. And, of course, with all the sports now ended for the most part when it comes to team sports, we have a lot of baseball going on. And, of course, the incredible run that the Yankees have put together, the first 50-60 games. So head on to the crowdsline.com and make your prediction today. And, of course, my good buddy Billy Cotler down at 15 Ann Street, the best Mediterranean food in New York City, Pita Express. Head on down, let them know that you're a big listener of the podcast and get yourself some hummus and some other goodies from Billy Cotler. 
You know, it's been an interesting week. Uh, it always is this time of the year when it's Father's Day. You have the NBA Finals coming to an end. You have the NBA Draft upon us. You have the U.S. Open uh, Golf, which is the great golf tournament, if not the best when it comes to the Open and the Masters. Uh, the tournament always starts on Thursday. The tournament always ends on Father's Day. We've seen so many incredible memories, unforgettable things that we've seen when it comes to this golf tournament specifically. Um, when you look at some of the winners and some of the runs they've had on that you know, Sunday uh, for Father's Day. So we're expecting a lot of uh, struggles when it comes to that rough and, and, and others, and we're excited to be joined today by the director of instruction at Manhattan Woods, Jason Birnbaum. Jason is our golf expert on the show, and we're excited to be joined by Jason this morning. What's up, man? How's everything over at Aaron Hills? Hey, Ryan. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Everything is great. It's uh, going to be an interesting week. It's a different kind of U.S. Open setup this week. It's got a little bit of that Chambers Bay feel to it from a few years ago, uh, but it's it's a pretty spectacular place here. We're kind of out in a very rural area of Wisconsin, and it's just it is a big, big ballpark for these guys to play this week. You know, it's funny you mentioned Chambers Bay. I got the same feel uh, watching the Golf Channel and some of the other previews over the past couple of days. You know, guys walking around posting pictures from the from the, the the course itself. It does have a little bit of a different sort of feel. Um, you know, what is your thoughts on the course itself? Obviously, a lot of the buzz has been around the rough, the the incredible fescue that's really right off of the fairway. You know, Rory was involved in some of the stuff yesterday around thinking it's a little bit overblown. You've been walking the course. Give us your thoughts on what you've seen the last couple of days there. Yeah, I like the course. I think the overwhelming majority of players really like it. It's just a, it's a little bit of a change of pace in terms of how the USGA sets up U.S. Opens. It's not your typical, uh, you know, sort of Shinnecock, Wingfoot kind of U.S. Open where it's really tight fairways and, and high, high rough. This is a little bit different. The fairways are a little bit more generous. Yes, the rough and fescue are pretty crazy right off of the fairway. But like Rory said, you're dealing with fairways that are 50, 60 yards wide in some places. So it, it's just a different uh, – just to get a little bit of a different feel to it. Still going to be a U.S. Open type setup, though, with the difficulty. Um, but it's got, a, it's got a different feel to it. There's some, a lot of different holes on this golf course, which is interesting. There are four, three or four par fours that play over 500 yards. Most of the par fives play over 600 yards. But then you've got a couple of key holes, which are on the short side. There's two drivable par fours which is pretty rare for U.S. Open, depending on where they put the tees. There's also the ninth hole is a really cool par three that plays downhill. It's a 135-yard shot where guys will be hitting nine irons and pitching wedges in. So there's a lot of uh, variability in terms of the layout of the course. There are also a lot of different key boxes that the USGA has to work with. The weather is a little bit of a factor this week. It's windy. Uh, there's quite a few chance of thunderstorms throughout the week. So they have a lot of keys to, to choose from depending on how the conditions are. Uh, and I think that'll give the guys a lot of different options in terms of how they're playing the golf course. Has there been a lot of sort of pushback about the course itself? Are players excited about it? There seems to be this you know, constant controversy when it comes to the Opens about 
the rough and things of that nature. You know, this course is a little very different setup from the stance that, you know, the fescue is really significant. The opportunity to not find balls, which I'm very used to <laughs> when it comes to a lot of those links courses, specifically in the Hamptons. Does this course feel like a, you know, in a way, a, a linksy kind of course, or is it more you, a traditional course? Um, you know, you mentioned no, Chambers Bay, which feels very non-traditional. Yeah, definitely the non-traditional route. Uh, definitely a little bit more links feel to it for sure. Uh, probably favors a lot of the European tour guys. There's a lot of blind tee shots on this golf course. There's a lot of elevation changes. It's a very, very difficult course to walk. It's been hot and humid the last few days, and you hear a lot of caddies walking around there saying, "I don't think I can make it on this course for for four days walking the whole thing." So it's a no, it's a it's a tough test. It's a grind, but it, it's a it's a USGA thing, in my opinion, more than it is a, a golf course thing. I mean, they just you know they rock the boat a little bit with their setups. Um, but hey, it's the U.S. Open. It's supposed to be tough. They like even par to win their golf tournament, or even over par on some occasions. And I think it's kind of a, a nice change of pace. It's nice to see the best players in the world have a tough time out there sometimes for the average golfer. I'm a big fan of the Open. I love seeing those scores versus, you know, the PGA where guys normally win at 11 or 12 under here. You know, normally par, a couple over, a couple under is normally the, the winning score. It's always fun for, I think, you know, guys like myself or who are sort of, you know, golfers who love the sport, play yep. it as much as you can and, you know, shoot in the you know, mid to high 80s and that kind of thing. When you look at guys who can dominate golf courses and overpower uh, golf courses on a regular basis for them to hit shots like the normal golfer, myself, or others do. It's a sort of a breath of fresh air to see, hey, it's not just me that uh, pulls my shot or slices it or whatnot, right. but that it actually happens Absolutely. to all the guys. And when you see their balls in, in, in the rough or the fescue where they can't get it out or some even just having to advance it just to get back in the fairway, <laughs> it makes it feel like you're, right. you're you know, it's, it's yeah. not so crazy. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It's just a completely different mindset for the players this week. I mean, bogey's a good score at a U.S. Open. You just want to try to avoid the high numbers. Double bogeys don't get you don't get you too far in U.S. Opens. But it's a it's a bit more of a grinding mentality where par is a good score and uh, you got to wedge it out on holes where you hit it offline, off the tee, in the fescue, and, and play for par at best, which is very different from what these guys are used to doing on a on a weekly basis on tour. So it definitely takes a tough-minded guy to win this week. That's for sure on this golf course. So before we get into some of the players, and we've talked a little bit about the storyline on the course itself, you know, you've been sort of smack in the middle of of this Open. It's specifically with your golfer, Roberto Diaz, uh, the, the highest-ranked Mexican golfer. Great article, as I talked about before, in the New York Post about his situation, specifically regarding Phil, who, funny enough, you know, is, I would call, the kind of main guy when it comes to the Father's Day, U.S. Open, etc. Um, <laughs> Phil not expected to be at the tournament this weekend due to uh, graduation of his daughter. You know, take us through this story, both from the standpoint of Phil and then the standpoint of your golfer, um, and tell us a little bit about Roberto. Sure. Um, so I've been working with Roberto for the last year and a half or so. He's been playing the web.com tour. Uh, we've had some really, really good success together. Uh, he is almost won on several occasions. He's having a great year this year and is uh, well within the number to get his full PGA tour card by the fall. He's 
11th on the money list. He lost in a playoff earlier this year. He's got a third-place finish. So he's playing at a high level. Uh, as a top 500 player in the world, he was exempt through the local stage of U.S. Open qualifying. So he got to go right to the sectionals, which is the final 36-hole stage. And I asked him to come to New Jersey to play in his qualifier because I knew he'd like the golf course at Canoebrook, which is in Summit, New Jersey. And he played great. He shot 65 in the morning. Um, he had one three putt on the 10th hole there in the afternoon and wound up finishing tied for fifth and uh, lost in a playoff. Um, but as an alternate this year, he's got a good chance to get in. So he has been first alternate since Sunday night, which is a, it's a tricky way to prepare. I mean, you're, you're hoping to get in the tournament as the first alternate you are expecting to get into the tournament. I think the average over the last five years is that two and a half, two and a half alternates wind up getting into the field. So his chances are, very, very good. When you have a large field like this, 156 players, you'd expect someone to have some kind of an issue where they can't tee it up. Um, so you're kind of preparing for this event. You're not 100% sure you're in, but you think you know your chances are pretty good. So that has been interesting. I've never been sort of involved in something like that where you're not definitely in, but you think you're going to get in. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Phil's the guy. He's uh, Roberto's done a ton of interviews the last couple of days. Everyone wants to talk to him because he is the guy that would get in if if this big Phil Mickelson story sort of materializes the way that uh, people are expecting. I'm surprised Phil has not withdrawn already. I mean, the forecast is very good for Thursday. He has said that he needs a four-hour delay in order to make it, and there's a 10% chance of, of rain uh, tomorrow here in Wisconsin. So I'm, I'm a little surprised. Bones, who is his caddy, was out here walking the golf course yesterday. But, you know, not seeing Phil is, is sort of uh, – is sort of the answer to me. I mean, if Phil really thought he was going to play in this tournament, I would have expected him to be here Monday or Tuesday, at least playing the golf course and seeing it. He's not one to come somewhere unprepared and, and play a, a U.S. Open, which he wants to win so dearly without playing a practice round. So I, I think he's going to get in. I just, it's, you know, a matter of whether it would be today or, or tomorrow at the last minute, see how late Phil waits. Um, Roberto would slide into his group, which is, at 2.20 in the afternoon tomorrow. It's a great group with uh, Steve Stricker, who's a Wisconsin local favorite, uh, yep. and Stuart Sink. So it'd be it'd be a great opportunity for him. It's his first major. Uh, so, But it's sort of the talk of the uh, – it's the talk of the town right now, whether Phil's coming or not, and, and Roberto's the guy if he doesn't. Really, really interesting. We're talking to the direct, director of instruction at the famed Manhattan Woods Golf Course in New Jersey, Jason Birnbaum. Jason's currently at Aaron Hills, been walking the course the last couple of days. And so, you know, this whole idea that he's playing, playing practice rounds, meeting Roberto and, and, and hanging with some of the guys, obviously doing interviews, an amazing experience already for him if he actually gets in, which sounds like there's a really good chance he would. Uh, what do you expect from your guy over the weekend? Yeah, I think he's got a really good chance this week. A, a short game is a strength of his, and, and this is a week where, where wedges and putting is going to be at such a premium. I think the two biggest things that anyone has to do to play well here, to me, they've got to avoid three putts. There are some really, really big greens on this golf course. There's a lot of slope and undulation on these greens. So undoubtedly throughout the course of the week, you're going to have really, really tough lag putts. You're going to have 50, 60, 70-foot putts that you're you're trying to two-putt from. So avoiding three putts is a big one. Avoiding the fescue, I mean, the fairways are generous, but everyone's going to miss some of them. And when you do four, five, six yards off the off the fairway, there's some seriously high fescue that you've got to wedge out. So avoiding the fescue, driving accuracy, obviously, the premium this week. And those are strengths of Roberto's games. He's hit a lot of fairways. Uh, the driver has been a focus of ours 
to start the year, and he has driven the ball probably as good as I've seen him over the last year and a half. So if he can hit it in the fairway and, and he's got the wedges going, uh, I think he can. he's a grinder, so I, I think he can be in there this week for sure. Well, it'll be a great story to follow. Everybody will be following as long as he gets in, Roberto Diaz. So good luck on that, and hopefully uh, he Thank turns you. a couple of heads this week, which I, I think will will certainly happen. And you, know, you mentioned some of the keys to hanging around this golf tournament and winning it. Clearly putting, clearly uh, staying out of that fescue and mess is, is really crucial. Um the number one ranked player in the world, a baby this week, uh, Dustin Johnson. So clearly a little bit of a, a distraction. Um, you know, when we look at the hyper data on Dustin, interestingly, we see as the same amount of following 555,000 followers on Twitter and 557,000 followers on Instagram. So maybe he likes those specific numbers, but you know, it's really interesting to sort of break down Dustin's game, um, a significant favorite for this weekend and see whether the number one player in the world to come out and overpower this kind of golf course. Is that an op- is that something that you see potentially happening? The U.S. Opens not, are not normally won by guys who come out and absolutely overpower the golf course um, and stay out of all that trouble with all their distance. Do you see something like that happening with Johnson this week? No, you know, it's hard to get a really accurate feel because they've never played an event like this here on this golf course and the players don't know what to expect. But I don't see anyone overpowering the course. I do think Justin, uh, Dustin for, uh, has to be the favorite. I mean, he's been the best player in the world for a reason. The golf course is set up great for him. It's not as firm and fast as your typical U.S. Open because of the weather and some of the rain they've got. So distance is definitely an advantage here. And the way he hits it, I really I expect him to be a favorite. I mean, he would he would be in my top two or three choices to win the golf tournament this week for sure. It's definitely a course that seems to be built for him, like any other course. Uh, but listen, it's tough. He, he's the defending champion. It's tough to win back-to-back U.S. Opens. I think Curtis Strange is the last that did it in the late '80s. So it's it's a tough task for sure. It doesn't happen very often, but he has to be a favorite this this week with his length and if he gets the putter going, I think uh, I expect him to be there at the end for sure. Will will he be? Will he have a lot of chances? Like you mentioned, these par fours to drive the to drive the green. Some of these par fives, which are unbelievably long. Obviously, those are big advantages for someone like him who hits it as far as he does. Yeah. But with the yes. rough and fescue and some of the issues that the course has, will that continue to allow him to keep the driver in his hand for some of those opportunities? Or yeah, will you know, you know we what's see in- him taking a three wood out? You know what's interesting? There's the, the short holes. He can actually probably drive without a driver, so that will <laughs> definitely play into his. There's the second hole on the golf course. is a It's a 340-yard hole, but you, there's an angle that you can hit it off the tee where it cuts off some distance. It also can play downwind. He can hit that hole with a with a fairway wood. He does not need to hit a driver. There's also the 15th hole is 357 yards or so, but there's an up tee that they're probably going to play at least one day. That's another hole he can get there without driver. It will probably play three, around 300 yards. He can hit three wood to a couple of these par fours off the tee. So that's obviously a, a big advantage for him. Yeah, those are the holes that I always find that I could drive the par four and then I have to go to my three wood to do it are a little, always a little disappointing. Right? I always <laughs> like to use my driver. Yeah. 
when yeah. I'm uh, <laughs> when I'm driving the green. There, there's a tier of guys right below DJ. Uh, I would say Day, Rory, and Spieth, all guys that have been there, have won, unbelievably talented. Um, you know that group of guys I'm having a hard time kind of saying, you know, one over the other. Three guys that clearly yeah. can bring it at any at any point at any time. Um you know, give us your thoughts on what you're seeing, what you're hearing yeah. with those three guys, sure. Jason Day, Rory McElroy and, and Jordan Spieth. Yeah, I mean Spieth would be my guy if I had to pick one of those three. He won at Chambers Bay on a on a very similar setup. He's won this year already. Um he's a great putter. He's about due to win another major. He seems to be um, he seems to be the guy. I, I would I would expect him to be in the mix. I watched him practice a little bit yesterday. He's seems to be very happy with where his game is at, and he's definitely trending and peaking in the right direction heading into this week. So I think he's long enough, and he's such he's got such a good short game, and he's got the experience coming off the win at a very similar setup like I mentioned at Chambers. Uh, he would be my pick. Jason Day is a tough one. I mean, he hasn't played great this year. He's definitely battled some injury. Uh, he hasn't been sort of peaking, so to speak, leading up to this event like he has in previous majors and previous years. So I'm not really sure what to expect from him. And McElroy, I mean, a similar boat. He's been hurt a lot this year. He hasn't played a lot. But from what I'm seeing from him and hearing, he's in, he's in a pretty good place right now. I know he's had some great practice um, in Europe leading up to this. He has spent a lot of time with his team. Yeah, I know he's feeling healthy. I heard him say yesterday that he feels 100% with his rib injury. He's certainly got the length and the and the experience to dominate this golf course. So I think Rory would be a close second for me to, to Jordan Spieth to contend this week here. Yeah, I like that Spieth pick. I think Spieth's going to come out and play well. He's you know one of those guys that the, all the eyes were on him for a while, and now I think the eyes of not been so much on him from the standpoint that the demands and the uh, while he has such demands on himself, I think there's a little bit of a hey, there's so many guys out there that last year it almost felt like he was going to win every single major, and now you look and see there's a lot of guys out there that um, people expect to win and people expect to compete, whether it's the guys we talked about or some of the other younger guys, but obviously the other guys that have won this year, guys like Sergio and stuff, it's Stenson being another, it's sort of looked at this pool of golfers, which is really amazing the depth and how anybody can really win on any weekend when you look at how many good right. players there are. It's such a difference from what you know it feels like it used to be. Yeah, especially at a U.S. Open. I mean, there's so many majors like the Masters, all of these majors, usually by the end on Sunday afternoon, back nine, the guys, a lot of the guys that you expect to be there are there. But U.S. Open's always got a different feel to it. There's always those couple guys lurking around that top ten that have, no one's ever heard of or they kind of came out of nowhere. You get those kinds of people uh at u.s open seeming seems to be more often at the u.s open i mean it's it truly is an open event there's more amateurs than any other event there are club pros playing uh so it's yeah it's got that feel to it where anyone could win i think i heard on golf channel earlier today that there have been a crazy amount of first-time winners lately um at u.s opens I, i'm not sure what the number was but i think there's there's a serious first-time winner trend going i think maybe over like the last 10 or 11 the majority of, of U.S. Open winners are first-time winners, so that doesn't happen at too many other majors. 
No question. Again, we're talking to the director of instruction at Manhattan Woods, Jason Birnbaum. Jason's live at Aaron Hills right now as we look and preview the 117th U.S. Open starting Thursday morning. I mentioned Sergio. Uh, we know from the hyper data, Sergio's data has and following has exploded since his green jacket, almost up to a million followers on, on Twitter, um, about half of his audience in the U.S., uh, the other half over in, in Europe. Um, you know, Sergio is an interesting kind of case study. He struggled a long time to win it all, but it was always around. I always find he plays well on Sundays when he's out of it. But when he's in it, he never really played great on Sunday, except for the incredible, um, I would call, upset uh, or sort of comeback um, to win uh, the Masters uh, on that Sunday down in Augusta. Um does Sergio have the mindset and the discipline coming off of such an incredible year to, to, to take this tournament? Or do you expect Sergio to either not compete or potentially not even be around for the weekend? I expect Sergio to compete. I think a lot of these guys, like we've seen, they, they get the, the monkey off their back, they get a major under their belt, and, and then they go on to win another couple after that. And I expect that to be the case with Sergio. I think he was under some extreme pressure to win a major. I think he's definitely can relax a little bit more that he has one under his belt. And I think that's going to free him up. I mean, it's his driving accuracy is usually – some of the best on tour, so that's a premium this week. It's all about putting with him. The greens are tough here. Putting has not been the strength of his game, although he has putted well of late. But, no, he has the, he's got the ability to play well this week, I think, and, and the biggest thing for him, I think, was just getting, the, getting that Masters win and uh, knowing that he's a major champion now, I think, could free him up to do some pretty good things. You know, we've talked about this guy at length uh, next, and, and, and that's Ricky Fowler. Uh, a guy that a lot of people have picked over the course of the last year or two to finally get a major. He seems to me like that guy who is always hanging around. He's always been there, uh, but hasn't, and is again, very, very young, but hasn't gotten um, to the top yet in a major. Uh, is this the kind of course that sets up perfectly for Ricky and his game? Uh, what are your thoughts on Fowler this weekend? Yes, I think Ricky's going to contend this week. I think his game is in a good place. His putting stats are fantastic. Putting, like we mentioned, is a premium this week. He's been working hard here. I've seen him with Butch throughout the week. Um, he won earlier this year on a very tough golf course in uh, in Florida at the Honda Classic, which is one of those courses where ball striking is key and the wind blows, which is similar to, to what yeah. the setup will be this week. I think Fowler is, is in a good place right now. I expect him to be in the mix for sure um, by the weekend. And if you could win a tournament like this on this kind of weekend, um, you could see his brand and his, his and Fowler just explode. So that'll be a, oh, yeah. a, a great story and and, and a lot of yeah. fun here in here in the United States. Um, you know, one guy I want to talk to you quickly about, and then maybe have you throw out a couple of kind of sleepers to us from what you've heard and what you've seen. But John Rahm, uh, top ten, the guy is sort of clearly a big-time golfer, um, mm -hmm. right there in the mix the last couple of tournaments. Uh, big dude, strikes it well, um, clearly going to be a part of this sport for a long time when, it look, when you look at the leaderboard. Um, I don't know, this might be the first or a couple times that you've seen him live. Is this the first time you've, been, you've seen him live or have you seen him a couple times? 
I, I was at the WGC then earlier this year in Mexico, and I saw him for the first time there, and he's impressive. I mean, he, there's nothing he can't do. He's like a five-tool player. He does it all. Uh, he's got, you know, a lot of things that Dustin can do, and we talk about how amazing he is. There, you know, John is not far behind. He hits it high. He hits it far. He's got a good short game. He's got a fearless uh, perspective on things, which is always a good thing. And, uh, yeah, but just impressive was the only word you can come up with for him, really. Yeah, he's. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's got this weekend. He's a little bit of a of a under the radar kind of a player. Not a big social media user. One of the things that's interesting when you look at the hyper data around him, very different from most of the players. I mean, his audience is more than half over in in Spain. And again, he, except for Instagram, really not using social media, which is very different from what you see from all the guys today. Especially when you saw the kinds of posts like Kevin Na and Lee Westwood did regarding the rough itself. So, I mean, those are, to me, the real, you know, big names that everyone has been talking about. You know, below that, you get guys like you know, Justin Rose, really a fantastic player and a guy I've picked over the last couple of uh, years to win a couple majors, uh, and he's been right yep. there, or came up short again in the Sergio uh, Masters. Um, you know, there's a, a group below those guys like Scott and Stenson, Matsuyama, um, the guy that I'm intrigued by and the guy that you and I have talked about, I think it was in the last tournament or the tournament before the PGA, was Justin Thomas. I know he has some experience at Aaron Hills. Um, you know, give us your thoughts on maybe Justin and a couple of uh, sleepers that maybe people haven't been looking at or talking about. Sure. Justin Thomas, I mean, he's played great. He's won three times this year. He's a bomber. Uh, the only thing that he lacks is probably experience in major championships, which, you know, is something a lot of guys lack. Obviously you, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere, but he is in that sort of, he's close to being in that John Rom category. He's got, he's got age on his side. He's got fearlessness on his side and, and he's got length on his side. He's, he's one of those players that doesn't have too many weaknesses in his game. So yeah, I expect him to, to be in the mix for sure. I've seen him uh, uh, practice a bit this week. He's extremely relaxed and seems up for the challenge. Uh, Schwartzel would be another guy that's kind of in that kind of Adam Scott sort of tier, I think, can can contend this week. Uh, the guy's played great. I mean, he's a great putter. I think he's on top ten on the tour this year in putting. He's already had three top tens and made close to $2 million already this year. He's a major champion previously. I think he came in the top ten at Chambers a couple of years ago, so he likes this style of golf. He's played a bunch on the European tour, obviously. So I, I expect Charles a good one, I think, you know, probably not someone who's on too many people's mind, even though he is a major championship winner. But he's he's pretty he's pretty solid. I mean, his ball striking is is tops in the world, and uh, he would be a good one. A couple other guys I've had my eye on this week that I would mention: uh, Kevin Kisner is one for sure. I think he's just he's one of the tough-minded guys on tour. There's not too much that rattles him. I spoke to his caddy yesterday, and he said he loves the golf course, he loves the setup, and he's played great. I mean, he's on the top ten on tour this year in almost every category, driving accuracy, tee to green, another guy that's played well at Chambers. Um, but he's just – Kisner's an interesting one. I mean, he shouldn't be under the radar because he's already won this year. He won Colonial. He's lost in a playoff. The guy's had six top tens in uh, on the PGA Tour this year. But he's probably – Kevin's probably not someone who's on a lot of minds of fans right now, but he should be. He's He's someone that I expect to play very well and to contend this week. Uh, and another guy is Ches Revy. I watched him practice a little bit. I know his coach, Mark Blackburn. Ches has played – he's played great. He's 10th on tour in driving accuracy this year, so a big part of that for him this week will be keeping it in the fairway. 
He's had a bunch of top tens. He played well last week, so he's feeling confident coming into it. He's kind of bounced around PJ Tour for the last bunch of years. So Kisner, Ches Reavy, Charles Schwartz, all those probably guys that aren't on the tops of people's list, and I, I expect to see good weeks from those guys. Will you hang around for the weekend if your guy doesn't make the cut? No, I'm just here for practice. I come for, for preparation, help him get ready, and then uh, once the lights go on, it's all him. So I'm uh, actually flying home tonight. Oh, wow. Interesting. All right. Well, that sounds yeah. great. Well, look, Dan, I appreciate you giving us 30 minutes uh, this morning. Safe travels tonight. Good luck to Roberto. Uh, hopefully, uh, Phil doesn't make the trip and Roberto gets in and uh, he has memories of a yeah. lifetime and, uh, and you guys do some fun stuff together. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for coming. Speak soon. That's the great uh, Jason Birnbaum, the director of instruction over at Manhattan Woods, an amazing golf course over in uh, the New Jersey area on the border of New York and New Jersey. And Jason runs the entire instruction uh, department there. And, of course, you have to be a great instructor to be able to uh, not only have that role, but, of course, have a role to be able to instruct guys at the highest of levels of golf. So it's a really interesting story that he's got going on with uh, his player, Roberto Diaz. And if you check out today's New York Post, you could hear all about it. We talked a little bit about it on the show today. But uh, a really interesting situation for him and for his, his player, Roberto Diaz. So thanks to Jason. We love having him on, talking about all the majors. And we'll have him on next, talking about what I think is the most fun major, and that is the Open, um, of course, in the British Open referred to. So thanks to Jason for coming on early this morning, and we look forward to everybody teeing it up early tomorrow at Aaron Hills. And uh, before we let you guys go, and I appreciate everybody listening to today's show, uh, of course I would be, I would have to talk about what, I saw in the great NBA Finals series that just wrapped up this week. Uh, really fun series that you could wish you had 25 or 30 games to watch. Um, three games, Golden State takes first two rather easily, just incredible offensive uh, performances and defensive performances. Durant just coming into his own and being absolutely spectacular. Um, of course, Game three is where the series and the whole thing changed. Cleveland played incredibly well. It uh, looked like they were going to win that game. And if they win that game and they are up 2-1 and then win game four and it's 2-2, that game five would have been just sensational. As good as it was, it would have been even better. It would have been so hardcore. Guys would have been just at each other's throats. Uh, these are two teams who don't like each other. Um, you get the feel that these guys don't like Curry at all. While they are tight with Durant, you get the feel from everything I've read and heard that these guys are not Curry fans. Uh, the Game 3 disaster at the end for Cleveland after LeBron and Kyrie played so well and just sort of played horrifically the last couple minutes, bad shots, bad efficiency, bad results, and all of a sudden you're looking at a 3-0 series and then in game four, Cleveland comes out and just plays a game like I've never seen in 40 years of watching basketball, 86 points in the first half, guys making shots all over the place just against the best defense in the, in the league, uh, shooting over 65% and forcing that game five. And in that game five, you know, Cleveland really 
gave it what they had, but in the end, it was just way too much KD and and Curry, and uh, and Cleveland's got some issues moving forward because clearly, you know, they're capped out. LeBron's going to be all over the GM to make make deals and, 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 and upgrade the situation. He's got one year left on his deal, or he's going to threaten to, to get out of there. And we know the one thing about LeBron is he's not scared to leave. He's not scared to make rash decisions that change the entire um, landscape of, of, of the sport. You know, and it's interesting with LeBron, uh, you know, everybody in this social media age has the LeBron take and his game has been dissected and everything is dissected at such an epic level when it comes to LeBron. Uh, But this guy is as good uh, as it gets. Um, Of course, MJ 6-0 in the finals, clearly a uh, one when it comes to the best player in the world. But at this point, I don't know how you can't look at what James has done eight straight finals, uh, yes, three and five in the finals, um, so on some flawed, her, her bad teams, on some really good teams. But, um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward with James. A really an interesting piece yesterday on CBS about the fact that if he does get to three or four more finals and loses them all, and has a three and nine, three and eight record. That's almost worse than not going to any more finals because of how people measure these guys. Um, but you know, when you look at the top three, four players in the history of the sport at this point, with what he's accomplished, with what he has done, he clearly is there. And whether it's Jordan, not Jordan, that stuff is, you know. I have a hard time getting I – don't, I don't think he's at that level of MJ yet. But when you look at the other players and watching the 30 for 30 that ESPN had last night and seeing how loaded a team like the Lakers or the Celtics were, three, four, five Hall of Famers. And then you look at a team like what Cleveland has right now, and that's a flawed roster that they put together. You know, They're a very offense or defense-driven team. When they go with guys like Corver and Love – Together, they can't stop a nosebleed, horrifically on defense. But then they have guys like RJ and Shumpert, guys that are more defensive-oriented. So it's like they have guys like Channing Frye who only can shoot and play no D and Corver, or you have guys like Shumpert and RJ who can't make a shot but are good on defense. So it's a, it's a flawed – they don't have enough two-way players and constantly get stuck playing one way or the other. And when you have guys like LeBron and Kyrie who are so good, then you know that kind of covers up and band-aids the larger the larger issues. So I think one of the things we'll see from Cleveland is the ability to get younger, maybe use love in some of those opportunities. But I think they need to get younger, and they clearly need more scoring. There's been a lot of talk about Carmelo. I, I just don't know if he's the answer. He clearly is, can help you get to where you're getting to. But in the finals against Golden State, I just don't know what he's going to be able to deliver that was so different from Kevin Love, who, oh, by the way, had a game where he scored 27, also had 21 rebounds. So it's not so much about a love for Melo or love for Blake. I think it's much more Cleveland's got to get younger. They've got to surround LeBron with some two-way players. Um, enough of RJ and Channing Fry and these kind of older guys. They have to get younger, uh, have to get more athletic. And then 
with Golden State, you know, they are like a, a team we've never seen before. Just, you know, Durant's move changed the entire landscape of the sport for years. Um, hard to see how this team, except if they get broken up or there's an injury, doesn't win four or five titles in a row right now. Um, they should have three titles in a row and be going on, you know, four next year. I think they have Green for two more years, Clay for two more years, Draymond for three before those guys are up and also want a big contract. They're going to have to re-sign Curry this summer. Uh, he'll get the biggest deal in the league, and then Durant right after him. So um, clearly one of the one of the keys that uh, – that, that Golden State is looking at is not only how to keep this core together, but they did a very good job of adding some new youth, McCaw and others who are rookies. Ian Clark is another. So when you look at what Golden State was able to do um, by adding some youth and Cleveland who didn't is a really interesting sort of back and forth. I think one of the guys that has a chance to tip the scale is Iguodala, who's also a free agent. And I think Golden State's going to have to work hard to fit him in to their budget uh, as they re-sign these guys. Because Iguodala, if he happens to ever leave, the place where he's actually going to go is going to be Cleveland. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Iggy uh, this summer. But a great NBA Finals. Just must-watch TV. You know, you wish there were more games, but unfortunately we only got five. So that leads us to the great U.S. Open this weekend, and we're really excited to watch uh, that sporting event uh, coming off of the finals, and then we'll be into full hardcore baseball season, and we will look to bring on Costa Kennedy from Sports Illustrated in the next couple of weeks to talk baseball and the New York Yankees. It's been a fun show today. Thanks to Jason Birnbaum from Aaron Hills giving us a live preview of the United States Open. Thanks to Hyper, Crowdsline, and PETA Express for supporting our show, and thanks to everybody for listening. Enjoy your afternoon, everybody. As my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say, Adios. It's the Burger Shop Podcast, the one that you heard about. Talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth. Social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be. Talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next. Cause that's the type of podcast you listen to. Powered by the hyper brands, who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront. Got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront. Listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything. Sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing. So listen to the man, right ahead of his time. On your podcast, you can download or listen live. So here comes the podcast, here comes your host. The Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast. In any way you want to do it, listen to the show. Ryan got the insights, the Burger Shop, you know. Burger.